Grace and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, by the presence of his Holy Spirit among us and within every single believer. All God's people said, Amen. So Paul wrote uh, last Sunday in, a, in that portion of his letter, he was writing to the Thessalonians because they were uninformed. They hadn't heard yet about the rapture, exactly how that was going to work. And so Paul went into some detail about the folks out there who have died first in Jesus. They go up first and get their resurrection bodies and meet him in the clouds, and then we go up after him. We all meet Jesus in the clouds, takes us on to heaven, and it says we'll be with the Lord forevermore, and we all say Hallelujah. Okay, so good news. So he informed the Thessalonians about that because when he'd been with them a few months before and, and first shared the gospel with them, uh, he didn't share that tidbit with them. We're not sure. Maybe this revelation, uh, he says, Jesus told me about this. Maybe that happened after he left, Thess left Thessalonica, but he shared that with them because they were uninformed about the rapture. But now today in chapter 5, He's going to move on to something that he's taught them about when he was with them those first three months. Uh, Paul hears from Timothy's report that the Thessalonian believers are confused and concerned about when Jesus will come back for us. And there's never been confusion or concern about that ever since this time. That was a joke, people. Okay, There's always been confusion right on this. Still is today. Uh, would you like to be reassured today? Let Paul reassured the Thessalonians. Uh, let's try it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. So Paul writes to the wonderful, but blessed, cherished believers in Thessalonica. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers. Now that brothers is an inclusive word. means brothers and sisters, the whole congregation. And when he uses that word, times and seasons, when you dig down into the Greek, it's obvious how he uses those words in this setting that he's talking about end time stuff. Okay? To us in the English, it's not maybe so uh, exactly clear right off the bat, but that's what he's referring to. So he says, hey, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have, say it with me, no need to have anything written to you. You say, huh? You were just telling them all about stuff that they didn't know about before. So what does this mean? He says, he says, you have no need for me to write to you anything about the times and the seasons. Why? Verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Fully aware. See, here's what Paul's saying. People, I taught you about this over and over and over you have no need for me to write to you about this again. What's up with you? Okay, that's Joe's slandered version. I'm adding some extra stuff, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, you're fully aware. I taught you about this. Didn't anybody take notes? Have you ever felt like that? You ever sharing with your child or your grandchild and you share it with them over and over and then the next day they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you say, you are fully aware. I told you exactly uh, husbands and wives, this is never a problem. Amen? Okay? You are fully aware. I shared this with you. What did he share with them? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, say that with me, day of the Lord. Say that again. Day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now there's something you got to know. We're going to do some real, lots of repeating, lots of burying this into our brains and our hearts today. Say glory. glory. Okay. Day of the Lord. Two things. 
to remember about the day of the Lord. Number one, rapture, rapture. happens on the day of the Lord. Okay, you got that? That's the big one. Rapture, well, there's two big, two big things. First thing happens on the day of the Lord. Rapture happens on the day of the Lord. What happens with the rapture? We talked about it last week. Those precious folks out there who were buried in Jesus, they're, they're with him in spirit. They're with the Lord. But on the rapture day, Jesus comes back in the clouds. He says, yo, catch your resurrection bodies. He takes them out of the grave. They go up and meet him in the clouds. We watch them go up and we say, that's cool. And then we go up right after him. We all meet Jesus in the clouds. So day of the Lord, first thing that happens is rapture. Everybody say, day of the Lord, rapture. And this time I want you to clap your hands. Okay? When you do something physical and you add sound to it, it helps it go into your brain and stay there. Okay? So, day of the Lord. Day of the Lord. Rapture. All right. We're done. No. We're just getting started. Second thing that happens after the rapture, what, why does God do the rapture? Because he wants all of his precious children out of here because it's time for God's wrath to fall on every person left behind because they have hated God, rejected God, they've rejected the gospel, they've heard the gospel a million times, and they've said no. So God takes everybody out of here that loves him in the rapture because then what? God's wrath. So we got, we're going to yell, Day of the Lord rapture and then we're going to say day of the lord god's wrath one and then two got it so day of the lord rapture day of the lord god's wrath you got it now when i quiz you next sunday are you gonna have it all right we'll see i'll test you day of the lord rapture day of the lord god's wrath all right so got that down he says you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night who's that heard that phrase before about the end times thief in the night raise your hand well come on there's been movies there's been book series even if you're not a christian you've probably heard he comes like a thief in the night here's my issue with thief in the night a whole lot of Christians and even preachers and even seminaries today, they're like, well, they'll say, well, yeah, he's coming like a thief tonight. Nobody knows when he's coming, so I'm not going to bother to think about it. Is that what the Bible says about it? Does God say Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, so don't think about it, don't worry about it? That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul says or teaches. He comes like a thief in the night, but here's who he comes for like a thief in the night. Verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then, say it with me, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Oh, boy. Okay, here's the deal. What people is Paul talking about? What people are going to say? Peace and security. Everything is fine. And then, day of the Lord. I only got my hand rapture and it's going to take them by surprise they're going to be shocked which people are going to be shocked and surprised when the day of the lord comes the people who are saying peace and security the unbelievers who don't love god and don't know his word and don't care they're the ones who are going to be shocked 
They're the ones when Jesus comes, for them it's going to be like a thief in the night. They're not going to have a clue. Here's why this is the case. When does, this, when does the rapture happen? See, this is key. It doesn't make sense if we don't get this right. And I'm just telling you that 90% of Christians in America aren't getting this right. When he comes. Jesus comes in the rapture way towards the end, people. So here, here's the deal. I'm going I'm to give you a couple of um, land, landmarks. Pulpit is the beginning of the tribulation. How many years in the tribulation? Shout it out. Seven years. Starts here. Starts with the Antichrist signing a treaty that gives peace to Israel. That starts the seven years, okay? Starts here. The piano is going to be the end of the seven years. That's when God wraps up the whole thing. You get that firebomb from heaven. No, that's at the end of the millennium. Okay, millennium starts here. The end of the seven years is here. What's the biggest moment in the seven years where tons and tons of linchpin things happen? Midpoint. If you were with me in Revelation Bible study for like five years that we just completed, you know this. Okay? It's like kid talk when you say, what's the answer to most of the questions in kid talk? It's Jesus. When you're talking about the end times, the question about when does that happen, like 80% of the time the answer is midpoint. Now this is really nice for us. Pulpit, what happens at the pulpit? Tribulation begins. The seven years begin. What happens here? That's the end of the seven years. What's in the middle? Midpoint. And what's in the middle of our sanctuary here? Midway between the pulpit and the piano. Altar. What happens at the midpoint? Satan is up there in heaven. He takes all his fallen angels and they try to take heaven by force. And Michael and the angels go, oh yeah, you want some whooping? And they go at it. And Michael and the angels, they win. And they kick them out of heaven. They, they kick them out of heaven. They go down to the earth. And the Bible says, they come down to the earth and they says, Satan is really hacked off. Because he knows his time is short. He knows, I couldn't take heaven by force. I, I've got, I'm going to pull out all the stops. And Satan comes down. The Bible says he comes down to you with great wrath. Satan's wrath. Say it with me. Who's wrath? Satan's wrath. He comes down at the midpoint. He's ticked off because he just lost the battle in heaven. And he comes down here and he says, I hate Christians so much. I hate Jews so much because they're the children of God. I'm going to kill every one of them. So he comes down from losing that battle in heaven and he tells the Antichrist, go into the sanctuary, the temple in Jerusalem, reveal your true identity as my servant and tell the whole world, worship me or die. And he pours out Satan's wrath. That's when Christians start dying. That's when Jews start dying. And we're going to start dying because we stand for Jesus Christ. Or many of us are going to go, God's going to direct us. And we'll go into safe places. We'll hide. Now, the 120,000, they go and hide. The Jews, God's got this all figured out. Okay? But Satan loses the battle in heaven. He comes down here and he says, oh, I'm going to kill them all. He says, worship me or die. And the, that's when, so great tribulation, what the Bible calls the great tribulation starts at the midpoint and you and I are the recipients of the great tribulation. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it'll be worse than it has ever been seen before. Have we seen some terrible tribulation against God's people 
in the world? It's going to be worse than that. Okay? Should you know that in advance and should you be ready for it? You should know that in advance and you should be ready for it. The vast majority of Christian preachers are teaching Christians like you on Sunday morning right now. They're saying, Jesus is coming any second now. He's going to take you out of here before things get bad. They're wrong. If they're right, we'll all laugh about it on the way up to Jesus in the clouds. And we'll say, Pastor Joe, you blew that one, but we'll all be happy about it. Amen? But if I'm right and 2,000 years of Christian preaching and teaching is right, we're going to be here for the great tribulation. It's going to be rough. A lot of us are going to give our lives for Jesus. And a lot of us are going to be hidden supernaturally by the Lord. It's up to Him. Right? So here's the deal. Midpoint. Altars kind of symbolizes the temple in Jerusalem. Antichrist comes into the temple in Jerusalem and says, Ha ha! Here's who I am! Worship me or die! And he starts pouring out wrath on Christians and Jews. And so that great tribulation... That terrible persecution, it starts at the midpoint and it goes on for weeks and months and a couple, three years. We don't know the perfect timing on it, but a couple, three years it goes on. And it gets to the point where most of the Christians and most of the Jews who are public about it and stuff, they're dead. Or the rest of us are in hiding. But the persecution has pretty much been finished off. Does that make sense to you? And the rest of the people who are left, this is right before the rapture, the rest of the people who are left, they hate God, they hate Jesus, and they hate the gospel. And so they've killed off most of the Christians and the Jews and the rest of them in hiding. So the people in general like, finally, peace. Finally, security. Finally, we can just live our lives however we want to. Does that make sense to you? That's what Paul says about these people. He says, verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. So when, so when they feel like all the Christians are taken care of pretty much, the Jews have been taken care of pretty much, life is good. We can do whatever we want to because we're following Antichrist and his stuff is all, what, just do whatever you want. Life is good. And in that moment, we're going to hear the trumpet call of God and Jesus is going to appear in the clouds and we're going to get out of here. And then the Bible says the people left behind are going to be like, they're going to see Jesus and they're going to recognize him. Say glory. glory. They're going to see him. They're going to recognize him. And the people left behind are going to be like, oh, no. Now that's Pastor Joel version. Bible version says they're going to say, mountains fall on us. Whoa, oh man, we're in huge trouble because who can stand against the Lamb and his God? Who can stand against God Almighty? We've been rejecting him, ignoring him, pretending like they aren't real. They are real. Jesus is Lord. Oh no! That's the moment Paul's talking about. So we needed some background, didn't we? Well, Paul's like, I just gave you all this background a few months ago, so it's fresh. That's why he doesn't go into all the details here. He says, you know this stuff. You took the notes, right? So go back to verse 3. Go a little slower now. Pastor Joe's getting excited, amen? Okay, slow down a little bit. So Paul says, while people, unbelievers, who are going to experience God's wrath are saying, there's peace and security. Most of the Christians and Jews are taken care of. Whew peace and security, then sudden destruction, 
Day of the Lord, rapture. Day of the Lord, God's wrath. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The way that's worded in the Greek is it's saying there is no way for them to escape. They will try. There is no way. When God sent the flood and no one the people went in the ark and God shut the door and the rains came down and the floods came up, was there any way for those people to escape? Did they try? Did they run to highest ground as fast as they could? Did it do them any good? The Bible says the water covered every mountaintop in the world. They swam. How long can you swim? How long did the flood last? They were in the ark for a year. Nobody swimming, no year. There was, say it with me, there was no escape. When the rapture comes and the day of the Lord is poured out, there will be, say it with me, no escape. Verse 4. Paul says, so he's been describing the unbelievers at the end of time who rejected God. He says, it's going to shock them like a thief in the night. And there won't be any escape for them. But, when but verse 4 starts, he says, but you. Say that with me. Say it with loud. But you. Now he says, here's what it's like for the people who reject God. It's going to be like a thief in the night. But for you, here's what it's like for you. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So when, so when a Christian tells you, well, it's coming like a thief in the night, nobody can know. You need to be able to stop and say, you realize it's going to be a thief in the night for those who don't know Jesus and don't know his word. You, you realize that, right? That's what the, if you keep reading past a thief in the night, you'll understand that it's not going to be like a thief in the night for you and me. Verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light. Say that with me. Children of light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So that, that tiny little two-letter word is really important here. Of. Of. It depends on which kingdom you are of. If you are of the kingdom of darkness, when Jesus comes in the clouds, you will be shocked and surprised. If you are of the kingdom of light, you will be expecting his arrival any moment, and you will be like, there he is. We knew it. We knew he was coming, didn't we? Say, woo, hallelujah. Actually, you aren't going to have time to do all that because it says it happens in the blink of an eye. Rats. <laughs> Wouldn't we love to just be talking and chatting and all the way up? You're just like, can you believe this? This is so wild. Look at that one. But it's going to be like, boom, and we're there. God knows best, amen? <sighs> we'll be talking about it for eternity, so <laughs> it's okay. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let's not be clueless, but let us keep awake and be, say with me, sober. Now that... Normally we think, obviously, is sober being, okay, don't, don't be getting drunk all the time. Have a clue. Be on top of things. Yes. But the word sober here, it really is better for us to be like, be calm, 
cool, and collected. Say that with me. Calm, cool, and collected. Why be that? Because we are of the light. We are of the day. We know what's going on. We know Jesus is coming back. We're going to know really pretty close when it happens. We aren't going to be surprised. And we're going to know all along, if I die, I got Jesus. I'm going on to heaven. You're doing me a favor. Say hallelujah. If I live, I live for God's glory and he's got purpose for me and I'm going to keep on telling other people about Jesus. Say hallelujah. All right. He says, let us keep awake and be sober, calm, cool, and collected. Verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. You know, that's of the darkness kind of stuff. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, say hallelujah. Let us be sober, calm, cool, collected, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now you pick the three main words out of there. What do you get? You get faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Paul talked about that elsewhere, didn't he? He said, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Aren't they all really awesome and wonderful and powerful? Sure. Why is love the greatest? Faith is temporary. I only need it until I see Jesus face to face. Amen? Hope is, is not just, gee, I hope it rains. It did say hallelujah. <laughs> hope is not, biblical hope is confident assurance. How long do I need confident assurance in my salvation? Only until I've got my salvation and I'm living it with him face to face. So hope is temporary. So faith is temporary until I see him. Hope is temporary until I see him. I don't need him forever. Love, how long does love go on? Love for God and love for each other. That goes on forever. So it's really pretty simple. You break it down. Faith, hope, and love abide. The greatest of these is love because it goes on for eternity. But faith and hope we only need until we get there. Say hallelujah. So what does Paul say here? He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Okay, breastplate of faith. Somebody knocks on my door and says, speak against Jesus or die. I need a breastplate of faith in that moment. Faith meaning I need to trust Jesus in that moment. That as I declare that I'm for him and he's for me, and they take my physical, human, earthly life, I need to have faith in that moment that I'm just leaving this carcass behind and I'm going on to Jesus. It's going to be okay. And the people I'm leaving behind, Jesus got them too. Breastplate of faith. Everybody say, I need that. I'm putting it on. Are you putting it on? Putting on the breastplate of faith? You've got to put it on. If it's laying there on the table, it won't you do you any good. You've got to put it on. Say that, I've got to put it on. That's what Paul says right here. He says, you've got to put it on. Put on the breastplate of faith. It doesn't jump on to you because Jesus loves you. You've got to put it on and make use of it yourself as a soldier of Christ. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. Okay, put it on. What am I putting on? I'm putting on faith. I'm putting on love, because it's going to get harder and harder to love people towards the end, isn't it? It's going to be harder and harder to love our enemies, because they're going to be really stinking evil to us. Well, we've got a command. We're going to love them anyway. So this is okay. Here's how we're going to handle this. We're going to put on the breastplate of faith and love, 
and for a helmet, the hope, the confident assurance of salvation. When that guy's standing, at my knocked, I open the door and he's got the gun on me and he says, say, say, reject Jesus or die. I've got to have confident assurance that when he pulls that trigger, I'm going to heaven. I don't want any stammering. I don't want to, gee, I don't know. What do you think? Should I say yes for Jesus or not? We don't want that, amen? God don't want that. He says, I don't want a double mind. He says, stand for me, be for me, as I stood for you and died for you on the cross. Do that for me. So in that moment, we're going to say, do what you got to do, kind sir, but I'm for Jesus. Yeah. Am I asking for that moment? I'm not asking for it. By the grace of God, I'll be ready for it. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. If God purposes that for me, will he have provided for me in that moment to be able to stand for him? Read you some Jesus, uh, the martyr books. Read them. You'll see story after story after story of Christians being ready, willing, and able in that moment to say, do what you got to do, but I'm for Jesus. And they had peace about that moment. Not fear, not freaking out, not terror. They had peace. Say that with me. They had peace. You will too. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Here's where American preachers blow it up and get it wrong. Whose wrath are we talking about? We got Satan's wrath to deal with. We got God's wrath to deal with. Which one are we talking about? God promises to his children, he says, you, my child, you, I will keep from my wrath. You will not experience my wrath. God will let us experience Satan's wrath when he comes down from losing the battle in heaven. Yes, God will do that. The Bible is super stinking clear. Daniel, Matthew, Revelation, 2 Thessalonians, we'll get to in a few weeks. The Bible is clear. Why does God let that happen? He wants a purified bride for his Jesus. He doesn't want folks who are just mailing it in and pretending to be for his son. He wants folks who are willing to give their lives. So it's going to be a fiery test, the Bible says. A fiery test. Because God doesn't love us, no, quite the opposite. Because he loves us like crazy. And he wants us to have opportunity to love him with a passion back. Everybody say glory. glory. Yeah. For God has not destined us. Now, if you've got your own Bibles, you can write in there. God has not destined us for God's wrath. The, the preachers that are messing this up are putting Satan's wrath in there, that God has not destined us for Satan's wrath. And that's why they put the rapture clear here at the front end, over here, and then the whole rest of the design doesn't make any sense. But we're in America, and we love our comfort, amen? We love cushy life, amen? So we want to hear that we're getting out of here before things get really bad. Try reading your Bible and let God's plan guide the way. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at preachers that keep messing this up. For God has not destined us for God's wrath, but this is what he has destined us for, 
to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're out there in the cemetery or awake and alive when Jesus comes in the clouds, either way, we might say it with me, live with him. Folks, what really matters, 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 the main thing, main thing, main thing, main thing is where you end up in eternity. It does not matter so much if you go by sword or gunshot or whatever else the enemy might throw at us. That does not matter so much. What matters is on the other side of that ending physical existence, where do I go? That's what matters the most. That's the main thing. And if we do all of our preaching and teaching and believing on, based on getting out of tough stuff, we not, might not be ready for the tough stuff. We might not be ready to stand. I don't want to think about it too much. It's, it concerns me. Because here's the point. Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep when he comes, we might live with him. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What, what do we do a lot on Sunday mornings? We're here for God and we're here to receive from him. We're also here for each other. We're here to hear about each other's rough week. You know, and when you hear about somebody else here having a rough week, I encourage you to put your arm around them and pray for them in the moment. Don't just tell them you're going to pray for them. Do it. Let's love on each other. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other. As the times get rougher and rougher and the persecution ramps up more and more, we might get to the point where you can't physically meet here. They might lock the doors. They might burn the place down like they're doing in China. They're burning the churches down in China. Okay? So if we ever get to that point someday, who knows, then we're going to be meeting in each other's homes, amen? Because we need to love and encourage each other and keep on doing that regardless of the circumstances. So here's the encouraging word. Day of the Lord. Rapture. Day of the Lord. God's wrath. Two huge things on one day. That's why we look forward to the day of the Lord. But we work like crazy to evangelize because when that day happens, chances for the people left behind getting saved drop way down. Way down. We, we want people to get saved before the trumpet blows. Amen? Okay, let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for detailing this stuff for us. Thank you for Paul giving us kind of a whack upside the head like he did the Thessalonians. He says, now wait a minute. I taught you all about this. Keep the teaching in front of you. Keep the faith in front of you. So God, right now, right now, we're putting on, we're picking it up, we're putting on the breastplate of faith. Jesus, we trust you with our lives, with our loved ones, and with our eternal destination. We're putting that on as a breastplate of protection right now. Thank you, Jesus. We're also putting on love. We're going to keep on working at loving each other, serving each other, um, loving our enemies even. We're going to keep on working at that. 
And God, we're going to keep on growing our confident expectation in our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're so confident, God. Build it more and more. God, make us fearless and peace-filled as the persecution rises. Fearless and peace-filled. Thank you, Jesus. And God, I want to thank you that you have a destiny for us, your children. And that destiny is goodness and wonder and joy and life forever. That's an awesome destiny. And with that, God, we encourage each other now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Would you stand up? We're going to sing that hymn that gives you goosebumps about this topic. Uh, the King is Coming. It's 313. 313 hymn is The King is Coming. Love this hymn. This is the thing for me. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask them, You got Jesus? Ask them. And then tell them, He's coming for you. Hallelujah. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord make you, um, what is the rest of it? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and keep you in perfect peace until he takes you home in his presence forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.